The Shocking Profit Podcast is for business owners and leaders who are interested in finding new ways to claim and create value in their companies. Your hosts, Tim Van Meegum and Eric Matson, have decades worth of business battle scars in the trenches with business leaders and want to share their experiences to make the journey a bit less treacherous and a lot more profitable. Shockingly profitable. Good day, everyone. I'm excited to welcome you to episode six of the Shocking Profit Podcast. I'm Tim. And I'm Eric. And we're two guys that you've never heard of who are all about peace, love, and shocking profit. Tim, (laughs) what what do you got in store for us today? Well, Eric, we're we're fixing to wrap up our four-part mini-series on the top 10 value levers, the, the ways to actually increase the value of your company. Eric, you know, you've worked with business owners to turn around their companies, to value them, to sell them, to buy them. What do these value levers mean to you? Well, Tim, you know, when you think of the term value lever, it may be a little bit fuzzy at first, but what really what we're talking about with the value levers are the actual practical things that as a business owner, business leader, that one can do on a regular basis. There are certain things that are like brushing your teeth. You just get up in the morning and if you pay attention to them, uh, you're going to be glad you did, you know, years down the road. And there are other things, uh, maybe more like going and getting an annual physical that uh, you do a little less frequently, but are uh, still super valuable uh, as it relates to the business and the business's health. And understanding the 10 topics that we've introduced and the ones that we're going to be introducing today really just allow for a leader to have a finite contained group of priorities to pay attention to as they lead the business. You can't uh, boil the ocean. A hundred percent. Yeah. Well, another thing I love about it, Eric, is how not only are we increasing the value of the company, but we're making it more fun to run it, to own it, to lead it. And those things go together. It's not a zero sum game. I had a client early in my career and I asked him, you know, how he knew when he had finally made it with his business. And he said, I I woke up at three in the morning and I realized that there were people out there working while I was sleeping and making money for the company. And I think that if we can help all of our listeners attain a similar kind of realization that uh, they don't have to necessarily be working in all aspects of the business every day, but they can be rising above and working on the business. That'll that'll be a mission accomplished for us. So let's let's get going to wrap up the mini series. What do you got in store for us this week? So our next one is risk, and this will be a, a, a such a deep topic that we're actually going to have a separate set of episodes focusing on different types of risk, how we identify them, how whether they're early stage or late stage, are they large impact, low impact, are they controllable or uncontrollable? And so so today we're going to bring it up as a topic without diving into too much. But one question I would like to throw out to you, Eric, is to share a little bit about the difference between an uncontrollable and a controllable risk and why even study uncontrollable risks? Well, so, you know, we often hear risk management 
from an insurance perspective, right? I mean, that is what insurance is. And that is, you know, calculating and managing risks, many um, of which are uncontrollable. For example, we just had a hurricane that blew through Florida, right? And that is an uncontrollable risk that exists in uh, both for businesses. And, you know, we hear about more of the personal and we see the personal impact and we manage the financial aspects of that largely, largely with insurance. And so pulling on that thread, there are other kinds of uncontrollable risk that can be managed by just understanding what they are and scenario, you know, and planning and running through different kinds of analyses that if the first time that you're ever going to think about how you're going to get through an episode that happens to you that's uncontrollable. So for example, let's say that you have a large percentage of your IT development team in the Ukraine and Russia invades the Ukraine. Yes. Nothing you can do about that other than, you know, you heard it was potentially going to happen. And what did you do? Did you react after it happened or were you prepared in advance? And did you start to offload some of that development prior to, to ensure that you weren't caught flat-footed and you were stuck not being able to produce code for a period of time until you got caught up to speed, right? So I think it's 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 documenting those various uncontrollable risks and it's being prepared for it. On the controllable side, it's really not all that different, right? It's documenting, it's capturing. And I think that, you know, when I think about controllable risk, it's things like you've got all of your supply of a critical part with one vendor. You can very clearly control that by having an alternate source of supply and understanding what that is, right? So as we get deeper into risk management and as we go back and forth between the different kinds of controllable versus uncontrollable risks that are out there, let's not forget that we also turn these into opportunities. So on the flip side of a risk is an opportunity to be better, to be more profitable, to drive more value. And I think that's at the end of all of the risks to just not delve on those things that can give you anxiety in running your business. It's remember that these are all opportunities to have a stronger, healthier, more profitable business. Amen. It's one of my notes too, Eric, that especially when you intentionally search to understand the risks that are that exist in your business, that you find some that are early stage. These are things that could happen down the road, things that the seeds are planted. And in almost every case, every single risk we've run across, especially when it's early stage, the cost to address them is low. It's not invasive. It's highly effective. And it always has a side effect of improving performance. One of the most common risks that we find today that it's completely controllable is what happens if you have turnover in your company? Okay, let's say you have some- And you're going to have turnover. You're going to have turnover. (laughs) You're going to have it. Right. And if you have standard work, if you cross-train your people, 
if someone else, you have someone else who knows how to do it, if you have an onboarding process, it gets to the point where it, it's like the, the difference between, if you get a flat tire on the side of the road, it's the difference between having the money or the, the AAA card to have someone come and fix it for you. And if you don't, it's you, you got to leave the car. You have to abandon it. It can be a complete disaster or just a mildly annoying situation. Right. Well, there's so many aspects like that in risk management. And just maybe to go back to my hurricane example, if you've never been through one, you may not realize that the difference between a mild annoyance and a complete disaster might be just having a generator. Exactly. And, you know, you wouldn't necessarily know that unless you'd given some thought to it ahead of time or you've experienced it before. And my point in bringing this up is that your neighbor may have been through it before. And maybe as the hurricane is approaching, you ask your neighbor, what have you done in the past to get through it better? And the point that I'm making is that this is an area that one of the few areas that I'm going to suggest that, you know, it's better to bring in outside folks from time to time to do that risk evaluation. And in many cases, it might be people in insurance. It might be your insurance agent to say, what have you seen? What have other clients experienced that you can help me to be better prepared? Um, it might be your banker. It might be your accountant. Mm-hmm. It might be your suppliers to a point that you made in a prior discussion around procurement. But asking folks who have been in business that have seen more businesses, what are some of the things that you should you should be on the lookout for? That's the fastest way to encapsulating those items and start to plan for it. Yeah, I love it. Uh, so uh, look for the uh, risk uh, topics coming in a few episodes. That'll be a powerful topic. To a theater near you? I'll bring the popcorn. All right. <laughs> The next topic is process and metrics, Eric. And, you know, we've talked quite a bit about velocity, predictability, and a lot of this really does come down, and in, in in this is where the Venn diagram, the intersection of different topics really comes into play. When we have workarounds or people use their judgment on how to proceed or what steps to take or what line speed to set a line at or what the next step is, we end up with a situation where you're essentially playing whack-a-mole. Your your team is spending their day expediting their firefighters, primarily putting out fires all, all over. And the converse to that is to have processes that are followed by all. And as an example of that, I, I think about having an approach to scheduling the plant is a good example. And when, when it's something that's tied into a process and it's done the same way every single time, it's something we can plan on, anticipate, and address. When the scheduling is done based on something in one person's head, then a few things become true. One, that person can never take a vacation. And that literally, I've seen this happen before where this poor lady. Or be sick. Yeah, or be (laughs) sick. Yeah. She scheduled a plant. Now, the company 
a couple of years earlier was, you know, a 15, $20 million company. Now they're 130 million and they're growing. And the reality was they were still using the processes work that worked when they were 15 million and now they weren't. And one major symptom was the lady who scheduled all the work and the plants, the staffing, what was going to be made when she had her way of doing it and it worked, but nobody else knew it. And she never took more than a day off. Tremendous risk for the company. And there's a lot of work and reaction time than in day-to-day activities. Well, and, you know, just to, you know, really bring the hammer down here on this, this topic, there are an entire very large subset of business buyers out there who will just walk away from a situation because of the perceived risk of having all of that tribal knowledge in the hand of an individual and the proverbial, you know, plane that could go down or getting hit by a bus or whatever, you know, dramatic scenario you want to envision. But think about that and think about that in the terms of value. When you limit who the potential buyers of your business could be, yes, just because you're choosing not to document your processes and having a better approach to process, even if you're not considering exiting, that has a value impact. And and you can't ignore the fact that people who are, you know, really attuned to understanding what creates value in a business are choosing to walk away from certain situations simply because of poor process management. I mean, I don't think there's a clearer, clearer um, way that we can articulate how important this is. We also know how challenging it is. The discipline around documenting your processes is not easy. It takes a lot of work. Yeah. I, I have a fun, fun story as always to share in this topic. So one of the most exciting best CEOs I ever have worked for took on a new role and he was running a company, a distribution auto parts distributor with like 160 locations, 13,000 SKUs in every warehouse and every branch. And like a good CEO, he wanted to go meet and see where the work's being done. You know, so he went to a bunch of the branches. He drives up to this one branch, he walks in and introduces himself to the the guy at the front desk. And he's like, uh, you know, I'm new to the CEO. You know, I'd like to help. Tell me what would be important to you? What would you like? What would make your life better? Help you serve customers better. Guy thought about it for a few minutes and he goes, I know, walkie talkies. And <laughs> my buddy said, you know, walkie talkies, I didn't expect that. Tell me more. He goes, well, you know, today when a customer walks in, and they tell me what part they want. I look it up on the computer. And if I had a walkie-talkie, instead of me having to walk in the back to actually check if it's actually there, I could just go, hey, Joe, do we got any of these in stock? <laughs> or how about having the computer system updated? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that was the funny part of the story is yeah. it didn't even occur to the people working in the trenches and it's not their role anyway. That's why it was great the CEO went to see it because his people were spending time working around the fact that their system wasn't accurate. Yeah. And probably losing customers. Oh, 
because of because of that. Right. I mean, if you oh, walk in okay. believing that the part is there and then not. someone's got to walk in back and yeah. it's not and you leave and you go find it from somebody else, then you're probably going to continue to go find it from somebody else. Well, and then play that out a little further. If you're the person who's in charge of purchasing for that distributor and you get enough people complaining that people are walking in and they don't you don't have what they say, I'm going to start buying more. Yeah. Right. Consuming capital to having too much inventory. Right. Of course, we're relying on our ability to forecast what people are going to be buying, which we've already talked about. We're always going to be wrong in forecasting. So it's a negative cycle, a great, a, a great area. And, and real quickly on metrics, we've talked a good bit about this already, that simply measuring will improve performance uh, for a time. For it to be a consistent, ongoing uh, improvement and you know, important thing for the business, you also have to follow up on it. So you, you need to measure it and then follow up and manage it, ask questions, and really having that daily process. We started the whole topic of the value levers with predictability. If you predict what you're going to do today and throughout the day, you check in and say, are we going to hit our numbers? How are we doing on that? Then you can, if you're not on track, you can actually take corrective action to help out. The supervisor can actually be a servant leader and come in and help the line succeed in getting it done. If they're out of material or if they need another person or something's wrong, maintenance, they can get it all taken care of. At the end of the day, you can review those numbers and say, were we you know, on target, we were high or low? And by checking that, you start to do problem solving. You start that closed loop system of making small improvements every day and identifying problems before they become colossal. That's so important. And and the last thing uh, that I'd like to say here with regard to our topic on processes of all of them that we've talked about today, this is the one that is so vital to involve people downstream in the organization. They're the ones that clearly understand, you know, how the sausage is made and they want to have input. They want to have ownership in success. And the more that we include them in designing these processes, the better they're going to be and the more profitable we're going to be. Eric, I, I, uh, I don't know how to bring this up, but we are on our final value lever. 10? We have finally reached 10. Number 10. Are you ready? (laughs) Drum roll, drum roll. Drum roll, please. Yeah. (laughs) So the last topic we wanted to bring up is that of balance sheet management. We touched on a couple of times, but there's a, a few reasons that we bring this up as a value lever. The first is simply the impact of having an effective inventory, accounts receivable, accounts payable, all impact that one topic that impacts valuation, cash flow. Well, when I think about the balance sheet and, you know, I do have a financial background and so I understand how the different pieces are connected. I also understand how non-intuitive the balance sheet is to most people, including most business owners. And, you know, we look at, the top line, which is cash, 
And so many folks, when they run their business, they see cash in the bank. And that is a, a measurement of health in the business. And I think that, that we can get fooled by that. It's kind of like going to the doctor and, you know, having your blood pressure checked and your blood pressure is okay. And so you walk out feeling good, but maybe there's some other tests that indicate underlying problems that, that are hidden or that are harder to get to, you know, the old lab results. And so, you know, continuing on that line is, is the balance sheet, you know, the leg bones connected to the knee bone and the knee bones connected to the thigh bone. And so, you know, taking the balance sheet in as a whole is what's so important. And it really is the lab results from the doctor that can identify picture perfect health or areas of concern. And so give us some examples that you have where you've seen that play itself out. Yeah, it happens all the time. And I'll start with a quick summary. I've had a conversation a number of times with people who said, if you if you only could measure one or two things for a company to evaluate their health, what would you put at the top of the list? And here's one that I thought of. This is manufacturing centric since it relates to inventory. But if they offer lead times at the top end of their competitive landscape, you know, in the top quartile of their competitors, and they have less inventory or more inventory turns than they're in the top quartile compared to their competitors. The only way you can have low inventory and fast turnaround is to be very effective in running your company. If if you're at the top end of both of those metrics, you're probably doing most things very well in that regard. So that that's one one piece of it. Inventory, you know, clearly it's a for us brought this up, it's the canary in the coal mine. We had a client just this last December that uh, they're a chemical company. They sell coatings and things to their clients. And we we were able to look at their inventory and they had this for this, co- they had about almost a year's worth of inventory in stock. And as we looked at their demand patterns, the lead times they got from their suppliers and their capacities they had about three times the amount of inventory they needed to run the business. Okay. I don't want to play down the inventory because they did have a cash balance, a liquidity problem that they needed to address. However, we were able to show them how to go from about a 6% EBITDA margin to 15 with about 10% growth, which they were on track to do. The point was not that they could take out, you know, a few few million dollars worth of inventory. It was that it pointed to 18 other things that were going on that were draining profit out of the system. Okay. That's what happens every single time. Inventory is a symptom. Tim, that's a great example, a great case study. And you you've used the analogy canary in the coal mine as an indicator that something may be amiss or everything is everything is all right. And as I mentioned at the top of this episode, um, I really think of the balance sheet almost like that annual physical that uh, you get. And, and not to 
insinuate that you would only look at your balance sheet on an annual basis, but it's that snapshot that, you know, early in a business leader's career, it really takes professionals who understand the balance sheet to diagnose and use that information, you know, basically, you know, the the lab test that you get back from the blood work yeah. uh, when you go see the doctor, you know, until you understand w- what all the variables are suggesting about your personal health, it's really the same with the balance sheet and the balance sheet ratios that are derived from the numbers. Um, it's very mysterious at first, but as somebody commits to get to understand what it means for the health of the business, you know, it is a much clearer um, tool that can be used to not only manage, but uh, as we've been talking about here, but uh, as a lever to increase the value of the business. Yeah. I I love that too. You know, the, the income statement is such a big part of the value because a lot of times the value is an, a multiple of the earnings. The balance sheet is also like so relevant for all the reasons you just said. And at the end of the day, it's about free cash flow. So it's not just the income statement. The balance sheet is absolutely part of that equation. And they go hand in hand. And, you know, it'll be down the road in a future episode where we'll start to tie some of these together. But again, understanding how to utilize the tools is the point. Yes. Eric, our uh, number one fan, Mrs. Calabash, has written in with another question for us. And she says that, you know, in her company, they have great processes. They work well, and they're right up there in my head. And my managers sometimes complain that they're in my head and they're not written down. Is that a real problem? <laughs> well, Mrs. Calabash, if you remember back to eighth grade philosophy, where we all learned that if a tree falls in the woods, but nobody is there to hear it, <laughs> did it really make noise? And to me, processes that aren't down on paper aren't really processes. So I think in this case, I'm sorry to say that uh, you should listen to your managers and and it's really important to get uh, what's in your head documented. Nobody knows the business better than you and they really need those the secret sauce yes. recipe on paper so that they can replicate it and you can start working on the business and not have to be in the weeds. And I, I think if nothing else, Mrs. Calabash, think of this. Your next vacation, you can leave your laptop at the office and you can turn off your cell phone and you'll be fine. I love (laughs) it. Nice thought. Yes. Well, everyone, that is a wrap. Thank you for listening. And we are honored that you chose to join us. Eric, what's coming next? Next is episode seven already. I can't believe we've uh, been through six. Uh, we're going to be focusing on external risks. Those are things that, that initially you may think that you can't control. It's pandemics, it's hurricanes, it's movements in the in the broader macro economy, it's political unrest, etc. So what do we do? We're going to focus on the things that you can do to control as much as possible those external risks. I can't wait. Great topic. In the meantime... Everyone, please tell your friends about us. If you have a question, a challenge, or a life hack, reach out to us at elwood at shockingprofit.com. And remember, everybody, focus on what matters to shock your profit. See you next time.